Good morning. Let's stand and pray. Father, thank you for a new day and thank you for opportunity to be in a place together, Lord God, gathering together in Jesus' name. We pray that uh, the Holy Spirit will guide us today in our thinking and in our speaking. Help us to hear you and receive your word. And, and Lord, may it uh, produce fruitfulness in our lives, Lord God, the kind of fruitfulness that you desire for each and every one of us. Give us vision for the people around us, our city and our communities, Lord God. Give us vision for our neighbors, Lord God, that we might know what you would have us to do, Lord God, to show them who Christ is, to uh, show them the love of God and the kindness of God and the mercy of God, Father, as you would have us do. And we ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, today we're in Titus chapter 3, and I studied the right chapter today, so I'm really glad to put that effort in. Um, as you know, the, the book of Titus, or the letter of Titus, is written by the Apostle Paul, and I tried to figure out a little bit about this guy, Titus. Uh, apparently, he was a Greek. Maybe from Crete, I don't know. Uh, he's probably Greek, and he became a disciple of Paul, and Paul trained him and, and sent him forth, and he's being a minister there in his own area. And I, I, I think he's a young man like Timothy. And one of the things, I know I've said this before, but I just keep saying it, I mean, Paul, this is, this is probably his last letter that he wrote probably the last letter that Paul wrote before he died. And uh, what's interesting is that he didn't write a letter to a city or he didn't write a letter to Rome. He didn't write a letter to Ephesus. He didn't write a letter to the Philippians or the Colossians. He wrote them to two young men, two young men. And I really like that because that tells me the Apostle Paul felt that it was an urgency to invest in these two young men before he departed. And I think that's a lesson for us to realize that there is no wasted opportunities between us and another individual. You never know what will take place when you are willing to invest in another person. And I like that about the Apostle Paul. He, he was a man of um, extreme uh, sense of of responsibility to people. If you don't believe me, uh, and I know I've preached on this before, and go back to Romans 16 and look at all the people. There's over 20 people in there. He remembered their name, and he remembered what they were doing, and he and he recognized them. Said, "Please tell them hello. T tell this guy hello. Tell this." He 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 invested himself in people. Gave himself to people. That was his mission, people. And, you know, I think that is in following with the Lord Jesus Christ. He invested himself in people, didn't he? You know, I had a, if you guys remember some of you people that have been around here for a long time, you remember Vic Gledhill. He had a, his, his uh, church had a, um, uh, a motto, people are important. 
You remember that, some of you? People are important. It wasn't a religious thing like Jesus had Jesus in it, but he said people are important. You know, the people out there, there's people all over the United States. They want to know they're important. They do a lot of weird things to show you that they're important. Okay? Well, Jesus did a thing that was quite unusual to show us that we are important. He came in the form of a man. He gave himself for us, the Bible says, that we might be saved, that we might come to God, that we might know God. And that's important. That's important. And that's an important message that we need to get out to the people around us. And I think most of gathering together on Sunday is for us to learn how to do that, for us to kind of uh, figure out how to do that. I always, told, I always tell people the reason you share your testimony in church is you're practicing so you can share it with somebody next door. You're practicing sharing things about God in church so that when you get out there you can share them with somebody else that needs to hear it more than the people in the church. I don't know how I got off on that, but let's get back to Titus. I will calm down, I promise. <laughs> This last chapter is kind of broken into four pieces, and um, I'm just going to read it piece at a time, if that's okay. Uh, it starts in uh, chapter 3 with, Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to malign no one, to be uncontentious, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also were once foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. I think we'll just stop right there. That's quite a bit there. But this is who we once were. That's what he's saying. This, we once were this. It sort of sets the scene. You know, if you think about it, Paul not only knew who Jesus was and knew what the church was supposed to look like, but he knew what the world looked like. He knew what we looked like in the world. He's basically saying, don't be like you used to be. Don't be that anymore. And I like the fact that he says, be ready for every good deed. This is repeated in this chapter in about two other places besides this, and we'll talk about that. Be ready for every good deed. Who we once were. Well, he tells us who we once were. And then in verse 4 through 7, he gives us a basically a synopsis of the entire gospel, all the way from Jesus is coming to taking us to heaven and being heirs of eternal life in just four short verses. He gives us almost a succinct, you know, Paul does this in a lot of places in the, in the New Testament. He knew, he knew the gospel. He knew the short, the short version of the gospel. I think that's important for us to learn as believers. What's the short version of the gospel so you can share it with somebody in about four sentences? That's the way he did it. But it has to be powerful sentences, and it has to be understood. In verse 4, he uses the word 
Well, I'm not sure it's in the Greek, but this is the way the English writer put it. Verse 4, look at the first word, but. But. See, we were all this, but something happened. Something changed. Now I'll read this. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we might be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Man, that is, that's, a, that's a beautiful passage right there. I've always liked that passage of Scripture because it's so clear, it's so succinct. And basically he is saying this is who we once were, but God did this. God did a, did a, a marvelous change. He changed us. A few weeks ago, I think it was, I don't see Nathaniel today, but I guess I can talk about him. Uh, I usually nod at somebody and say, get ready, you know. But anyway, uh, Nathaniel, I think it was on Easter Sunday, he talked about the angels inside the tomb. There was one at Jesus' head and one at his feet. And I thought that was so beautiful. He, he, he took that back to the Old Testament where... <laughs> And this is a favorite portion of mine in the Old Testament. You'll find this in Exodus 37, I believe. It talks about the, uh, the, the, the Ark of the Covenant. And you know how they made, uh, they made a lid to put on that Ark. It was one piece. It was made out of gold. And there was an angel on this side. And then the gold sort of ran under his feet all the way to the other side and made an angel. It was all one piece. And they were all looking at each other with their wings up in the air like this. And their faces, the Bible says, their faces were toward each other. And what were they looking at? They were looking at the mercy seat. I always thought that was a beautiful picture. And then all of a sudden Nathaniel brought that out about how there was an angel at his foot, an angel at his head. And it was like they were, they were peering in to the mercy seat. Did you know Jesus is called the mercy seat in the Bible? He was called the propitiation. That's the, word for, that's the word used in the Old Testament for the mercy seat. He was the one that God used to provide a way of mercy that could be extended to us. You see, it, it was the, he extended mercy to us through Jesus Christ that the penalty could be taken out of the way. The penalty of the law could be taken out of the way that God might freely bestow mercy upon us. And I think it's so neat, the pivotal point here in this 4 through 7, this pivotal point is according to his mercy. According to his mercy. Hallelujah. It says, and he calls this the kindness of God and his love for mankind. Now, folks, this is doctrine here, okay? This is teaching. This is a doctrinal thing. This is the doctrine that we need to focus on right here. And the reason I'm going to say that is because a little later on, Paul gives another antithesis. This is what we need to focus on, not this other stuff. Okay, we're going to get to that. So Paul is saying that we, 
we, we have been saved because of God's kindness and his love for mankind and not because of what we've done. God didn't look down and say, look at him. He's trying to do very good deeds. We ought to save him. No. It was his love for all of mankind. And here it is. Here's the love of God for all of mankind. What will you do with it? What's your response to the love of God through his mercies, through his son, his son? The mercy of God. Now here's an interesting concept he puts in here. And I was looking at the, the Jewish Bible. I always consult the Jewish Bible because sometimes the Jewish people put thoughts in here that we don't really think of. But here where he uses the the mercy of God, and then it says, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. That's the way my Bible says it. I use a very literal Bible. Okay, it doesn't have a lot of explanation as you go. It's just a literal. This is the words. Here it is. You figure it out, you know, type of thing. What he's talking about here is the mikvah. Anybody know what the mikvah is? How many of y'all watched... Um, I think it's The Chosen. Y'all watch The Chosen, any of you? Two, three, four? Get your hand up there. There we go. A lot of people watch The Chosen. It's a good, it's, a good, um, it's powerful, I think. It's very powerful. How many saw the part where Eden, uh, Peter's wife, Eden, she went into the mikvah. The mikvah is a pool of water inside the, inside the temple. That's where you did, that's where the washing went. And if you look it up in the Hebrew sense of it, it's actually a pool where Hebrews would go to wash for cleansing, physical cleansing, but also for transformation. They went into that pool believing there was nothing between them and the water and their own selves. There was nothing between them, and it was a washing. It was a spiritual activity. They believed it to be a spiritual activity. How many saw that in The Chosen? She knew that if she did this and believed God, it would change her heart and her spirit about the things of God. She, she wanted to get into the mikvah. This is Jewish, I know. But that's our roots. You realize that, right? That's our Christian roots, Jewish Judaism. And so... What Paul is saying here is saying that it, the Holy Spirit is like the mikvah. He's not saying, I mean, a lot of times you can compare this to water baptism, but what he, he, he's saying the medium by which you're washed and regenerated was the Holy Spirit, not water. It's by the Holy Spirit that you were washed and regenerated. whom God poured out upon you richly through Jesus Christ, his son. That's what it says there. Whom God poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. The purification, the cleansing, the transformation comes by the Holy Spirit. And that's a wonderful thing to experience in God. Now, 
Okay, Paul leaves that thought, and now we're going to go to verse 8 through 11. And it says here, I'm going to read this. This is a trustworthy statement. What's a trustworthy statement? Verses 4 through 7 is a trustworthy statement. You can, you can believe it because this is what God's done. It's a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God may be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. For men. Did you know the church is to be good and profitable for all men? Not just the church. We're supposed to go out here and have better ideas. Supposed to live in such a way that we're like lights in a dark world. You know that? We're supposed to have better ideas. We're supposed to do things that are very unbelievably impressive. Virgil last week was telling me about something very impressive I thought was amazing. And I, I hope I don't, you know, step on anybody here, but, you know, you, you just have to say, it's Jeff, okay. But anyway, there was a, a fundraiser for a man up in the community up here. He was sick. He was dying. His family needed help. And so the, the Amish Mennonite community got together, and they said, well, well, we'll fry a little bit of chicken. And I'm telling you this for you, you folks that are, all you English folks, okay? But... <laughs> You know, they think I'll fry a bit of chicken and have a little fundraiser. So they fried up 4,500 pounds of chicken. Did you know that? 4,500 pounds of chicken. Am I right, Virgil? Now, keep me honest here, Virgil. 4,500, how many gallons of potato salad? 150, was it? 120, okay. Beans, 100 and some gallons of beans and potato salad. Sold out in... Two hours they sold out. All the chickens gone. You couldn't find a bean anywhere on the place. Couldn't find a tater. $94,000. Now that should be a wow, shouldn't it? It's a whoa. A community like that doing good deeds, doing good things, trying to do good things for all men. Helping all men. I, I'm impressed. Is anybody here else impressed with that? I don't even, I am, has anybody here ever seen 4,500 pounds of chicken in one place? <laughs> I haven't even seen five gallons of beans, I don't think, let alone 120 gallons. Lord have mercy. See, a lot of us folks down here don't hear about that, but I happened to get a wind of it, and Virgil gave me the truth on it, showed me what had happened, and I, I was very impressed well, anyway, the Bible is telling us to be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for all men, for everyone. Get involved is what it's saying. Get out there and be something, something positive in your community. I think that is important for the church, for the people of the church, individuals as well as all of us doing something together. But then he goes on and says, but, here's that but again, but shun foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Everybody say, unprofitable 
and worthless. Let's try it again. Unprofitable and worthless. Well, when I read that, I thought, boy, I think I've argued a lot about things with people. It takes away your joy. It takes away your motivation for things. It takes away your strength. It wastes a lot of sweat and energy when you could be doing something good, when you could be doing something positive, right? It says, reject a factious man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. Now, I think, okay, this is the last thing that, this is the last bit of, Paul's winding down here in this chapter, and he put these things in there. I, it would almost make you think there was something going on with Timothy that he needed to know that or what to do about it, something like that. He just stuck those things. Do this. This is positive. This is negative, you know, kind of like in the beginning. This is, this is who you were, and this is what God made you to be. Now, take what God made you to be and do things that are good and stay away from these things. Does that make sense? It's kind of that way that chapter's unfolding here. Speak the things that those who believe God, will, that will help them to engage in good deeds. Doctrine's goal is not for us to know more. The goal of doctrine is not for us to be smart and tell everybody how smart we are. It's not to, so we can show off in front of people and let people know how much we know. The goal of doctrine, the goal of sound teaching, is that we might be able to do good deeds and change the world around us eventually. It's to motivate us to action. When we read this back in 4 verse 7, when God saw our condition and it says when his kindness reached out to us and his love for mankind came into the world, which is through Jesus, he saved us. Not, all, not because we're such a great people, not because we're so smart, not because we, we are so good, but on the basis of the fact that he had mercy through us, through the Son of God and wanted a people for himself. He wanted a people for his own possession. That's what it said back there in the second chapter. He gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. There it is again. I know sometimes in the church we, we build up the fact that we've all been saved by grace and we act like good works is of the devil because you, you're, you're doing good works to get yourself saved. No, you get saved so that you can do good works. So you can go out and do, change the world. I know, we're not, I mean, I'm not changing the world, but I'm trying to do my best with it, you know, with whatever I can do. I wouldn't even know how much the world's been changed by me, and neither will you. You just go out there and do it. And God gets the results, you know. Once we know who Jesus is and what he's done for mankind and us personally, we should step out and do life differently, engaging the world with good deeds. That's something I wrote down. I didn't read that in a book. 
Verse 9 through 11 discourages us from getting up in controversies about the law. It's unprofitable. It's worthless. Stay away from those who do that kind of stuff. Don't lose your energy for doing good. You'll lose your energy for doing the things that are good. Well, you're going to get out of here on time, aren't you? Well, in verses 12 through 15, these are his concluding remarks, and I will read this. It says, When I sent Artemis or Titius to you, make every effort to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Ah, Nicopolis. I've been to Nicopolis. It's got a different name now, but I've been to Nicopolis. It's in Greece. Yeah, it's not too far from um, uh, Philippi. Diligently help Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way just so that nothing is lacking for them. And let our people also learn to engage in good deeds. Oh, here we are again. Let our people also learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs that they may not be unfruitful. All who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Once again, and I, I just try to point this out to you to see how important it is to know the core of the gospel, the core of that gospel message that he gave us there. If you wanted to memorize a passage, that would be a good one to memorize. I've read it many times. I, I kind of got it in my head, but I don't think I've memorized it exactly. But I just always think of that when I want to know exactly how Paul saw what Jesus was and what he had done for us. This is a... Then there's other places in other places in Scripture in Ephesus and and different uh, writings of Paul, but this is a very beautiful path. Four through seven gives you the 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 meat of the gospel, and those are the things that if we focus on those things, and if we surround ourselves with those things, and if we dwell on those things and remember those things, what He's done, how He's washed us and regenerated us, gave us a new life and transformation through the Holy Spirit and He anointed us with the Holy Spirit to send us forth. These are so important. Sound doctrine produces changed lives and the result of a changed life is good deeds in this world, in this life. We're going to go to heaven, but in this life, he wants to give you and I creative ways to reach people around us, creative ways to touch their lives and to speak to them at work, wherever you're at. I don't think you have to get on a plane with me and go to Mexico to do the will of God, do the work of God, but you, you do have to know what God would have you do right where you are. What is it you've given me, Lord? to know how to reach people right around me where I am. And I think that's important to know. I can't tell you who that, what that is. Only the Holy Spirit can help you with that. And he will help you with that. He will give that to you. I'm going to pray for you right now. Uh, by the way, I am going to Mexico at the end of May. And if you'd like to pray for me about that and help me financially, that would be wonderful. You can give through the church, Iwater Ministries. This is kind of like a word from your sponsor here. <laughs> I got to get there somehow. But if you like, want to help me with that, give to Harvest and put eye water in the memo section. 
and that will help us get there. But anyway, we're going to have communion, and let's remember these words. When the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we've done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Heavenly Father, help us today, Lord, as we receive these elements today to remember the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ, what he has done for us, Lord God, and what you as our Father planned and purposed through Jesus, Lord God, to be the mercy seat by which we come to you, Lord. Bless these words today for your glory and honor. Bless us as we partake now. We ask it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.